stopped it to halt the offensive and drive off the aggressor. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Asian stock futures rally tracking a rebound in U.S. stocks. Apple unveils its new smartwatches and treasuries rally as the ECB begins its QE program. In 2009, U.S. markets were panicking, but six years later, investors are enjoying one of the longest bull markets since the 1940s. We'll take a close look at markets this morning with GEO Securities' Francis Lun and our co-host, Alex Wong of Ample Capital. Eurogroup's uh, Heron Dijsselbloem appears to be more and more fed up with Greece. Luca Silipo of Netixis Asia-Pacific joins us by phone to discuss the situation. And our last guest this morning is Prenetics. Uh, entrepreneur Danny Young who will tell us more about his success in various startups that he has uh, been involved with. So Alex, Mm. six years of a bull run. Why is it that US markets keep rising? Oh, I think first of all, uh, we got a sell-off uh, after the crisis. Uh, we are uh, pe- people starting from a low point, and then uh, situations had improved uh, gradually uh, in that six years time span. Uh, and also, um, interest rates stayed low, and uh, actually. Larger enterprises are getting more advantages uh, on the QE program. Actually, they are, they are they get easy credit, and 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 the economy is improving. Easy credit indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> U.S. stocks uh, closed higher, recovering from Friday's sharp decline as investors took a more positive outlook on the strong jobs report. The Dow added 139 points, but failed to close above the 18,000 level, closing instead at 17,995. The S&P 500 closed. Closed up two fifths of a percent at uh, four thousand and seventy nine, while the Nasdaq closed up at uh, four thousand nine hundred and forty two. Within hundred points of the five thousand level, it reached last week for the first time since March two thousand. So we were supposed to be ready for rising rates, but really uh, up until just now, we've been seeing markets stumble. The question is, has the bull market run out of steam? Michael Gurka of Brunhill Partners, well, here's what he says. I think right now, at least, what the markets love to do is anticipate rate hikes. And one of the things that is the normal course is a knee-jerk reaction, which is why I would not be surprised to see the S&P test that uh, 2062, which is the, the 50-day moving average, and potentially 2036, which is the 100. But I'm more in line to seeing Fed being pushed down further down the curve and seeing implementation potentially at the end of the year, but by no means this summer like the market is anticipating, which means buy those dips, let the market come off a little bit further, and I would not be surprised if we go back and see 2100 exceeded in the S&P. So again, near term, still bullish, uh, very short term. I would not be surprised to see the sell-off. So is the bond market wrong then? Because we've gone from 1.9% to 2.2% pretty quickly as uh, rate hikes are expected. This is in the U.S. 
that is the epicenter of where you'll see a, a move. Uh, it used to be in the euro dollars in the short-term contracts, you know, three-month time deposits. But, you know, when the whole yield curve's uh, at 1% or less up there, that's when you have to go down to the 10s. And no, I think it's completely warranted from 190 up to two and a quarter. I think you're going to nestle in more at this two and a quarter as you start to see rates come off a little bit and as we start to subside off of uh, a further implementing Fed down by the end of the year. But clearly to see 10-year above 2% is going to be the new norm. 3% is going to be hyper-extended, and I would not look for that. But I think these calls between 2 and 2.5 and over the next you know, 2, 3, and 4th quarter is probably where you're going to look for it to happen at. In the meantime, the ECP, ECB has embarked on its bonds purchasing program. But Dennis Gartman of the Gartman Letter thinks that there is not enough sovereign bonds out there for the European Central Bank to fulfill its uh, QE plans. They will deny it all the way through, but I don't think they have any choice. There, there simply are not enough uh, uh, sovereign bonds for them to buy to accomplish the task that is ahead of them. And like the Bank of Japan, who denied it to begin with but ended up having no choice, the Bank of Japan ended up buying corporate debt. The Bank of Japan ended up buying exchange-traded funds. And I think before this is done, the ECB, although they will deny it all the way along, will end up doing exactly the same thing. So I think that this is enormously supportive of, of the equities market in Europe. I think it is enormously depressive of the euro over time. I think you want to be continuously short of the euro selling the euro on any rallies that you get and buying uh, European equities on any breaks that you get. I think that's the way you want to be for the next uh, uh, six months, eight months, 12 months, for the next year or two until this process through 2016 is finished. And even then, I don't think they'll be done. I think they'll end up doing more. So what about the rate differentials on the 10-year between U.S. and Germany? Gartman says that they could widen further. I can imagine U.S. rates at the 10-year getting to 250 basis points, U.S. rates over German rates, over European rates. I can't see that coming in at all. Uh, we are going to clearly err upon the side of tighter monetary policies here. They have no choice but to err upon the side of, of more expansive monetary policies going forward. Can there be periods of time when U.S. rates narrow relative to European rates? Of course there can. But I think if you take the, the, the time span over the course of the next year, will you see that on balance every month be wider than it was the previous month? I think you shall. All right, let's bring in our markets guest this morning, Francis Lund, who is the CEO morning. of Geo Securities. Good morning, Francis. Yes. So, you know, Francis, we've definitely, you know, talking about, you know, everything that's happening on the Western side of the world. Sure. We've, we've seen some, you know, what we call taper tantrum in uh, emerging <laughs> markets. Yeah? Yeah. Um, currencies here are falling against the U.S. dollar. Now, is this just a case of dollar strength or is this because of you know, this potential rate hike in the U.S.? Yeah, I think you, you can say both. Uh, uh, as you have said, uh, the U.S. Uh, stock market has been in a six-year bull run because in the past, uh, the average bull run is only, f uh, duration is only five years. So it exceeded that and it's now in the seventh year. Chances are, I think, uh, uh, the S&P will go to 2,200. Because right now your average PE is only 17. It has not yet reached the 20 level where the uh, big, a big crash will happen. So, and also on the rates fund, uh, I, I doubt that uh, the Federal Reserve will increase rates this year because when you look at the CPI, uh, because of the fall in oil prices, uh, uh, their core CPI is only rising like 0.1%. 
per month. So you're talking about 1.2% per annum. That is far below the target inflation rate of 2%. So, so if you increase interest rate, then you, you, you will actually kill off the economic uh, recovery. So even though the U.S. Uh, economy is, is in the recovery stage, but actually the recovery is quite fragile, uh, you don't see the housing market rising again. Mm-hmm. It's in the uh, equilibrium stage right now. So I think uh, uh, I believe the Federal Reserve will, will leave the rates as they are for the rest of the year. So that's why I, will see, I see the equity market, the Dow, the Dow and the S&P setting records again later this month uh, after this correction. So that's interesting because many analysts were pinning their bets on the Fed uh, hiking rates sometime yeah. in September. And then more recently, you know, these last few days, uh, they've been uh, thinking, well, maybe it's going to happen in June. Yeah, but, but, but you disagree. Uh, yeah, look at last year. Last year, uh, it was the same thing. Uh, the market believed the rates will be uh, hike uh, in the June or something like that. And then the 10-year uh, Treasury went to 3%. Right now, it's only 2.3%. So still, it still has a long way to go. And then and, and, and up to year end, I think uh, the, the same rationale will follow. Don't forget, Janet Yellen is a really a kind grandmother. <laughs> she has the, uh, uh, she, she, she also have the uh, a condition of the poor uh, American workers in mind. She does not want to increase race. She wants them to uh, uh, earn a little bit more before she can Increase rates, uh, interest rates in the in in US. Well, I hope she has an opportunity to listen to the show because I think she'll appreciate uh, your comments, <laughs> kind grandmother Francis. Alex, what do you think? Do you oh. agree with him? Well, I think uh, the market probably would uh, would be in a nervous condition for a while. Uh, what? Probably we would in a volatile fashion uh, in the coming weeks because of the exchange in expectation in rates. Uh, but I am bullish in, in S&P and uh, Dow as well. I think uh, even though uh, we probably would price in a rate hike, but uh, I, I doubt uh, with a, 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 an expectation of rate hike would dampen the, the bullishness in the stock market in the U.S. because we need to have some leading economy to, to, to perform. So I think uh, that should be okay, actually, even with a, an expectation of rate hike. But I am more bullish in, in Europe, as, as the clip all, uh, earlier I said. I think uh, the QE program probably will support Europe uh, for quite some time. Okay, so uh, before we go to Europe, um, you're both bullish uh, on U.S. stocks, on the S&P. Francis, you said uh, that it might reset at the end of this week and then get to the 2200 level. When do you see this happening? Well, <laughs> maybe by the end of the year, because uh, uh, you see corporate results, uh, their earnings are still okay. So, so, it, so, so if you uh, believe that Apple will do well with the uh, iWatch, then uh, I think Apple alone can can add uh, like uh, twenty or thirty points to the to the S and P, and also to the Dow. Now that it is a Dow uh, uh, a component. So I think by the end of the year, yeah. maybe by the fourth quarter. Do you think Apple will do well with the iWatch? Well, <laughs> there are there are something like twelve million uh, billion uh, millionaires who want a ten thousand US dollar iWatch. That's what they believe. The one with the gold. Yeah, that's the right. The most expensive of, of the three <laughs> options. I won't buy it. 
You won't buy it. Are you telling us you're not a millionaire? Come on, Francis. Oh, we don't of course that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, Francis, when we look sort of locally at our yeah. portfolio here, uh, how yeah, should we be sad. thinking? It's yeah. pretty sad? Yeah. Well, except for some speculative stocks, I think, uh, uh, like uh, Han Energy, uh, which uh, we did quite well over the last month, but uh, it crashed uh, after reaching $9, and then that now there's nothing to fry. So it's so, so that's why we, we go, to the, uh, go to work every day, don't know what to do. But I think uh, this week uh, we, we have our eyes on the mainland banks because uh, the uh, CSRC just, uh, I think, uh, in the action permitted the banks to buy security firms, which meaning meaning that the, the mainland banks can compete with the uh, uh, brokerages and to uh, to participate in the stock market, which is the only bright spot in in the finance industry anyway. So mainland banks in general, any specific names? Well, uh, uh, it, if you if, if you want to buy A shares, then you buy Industrial Bank, okay. And then if you buy uh, if you want to Hong Kong, uh, then uh, maybe China Merchants Bank. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, definitely we'll be keeping our eye out on those. Francis, thank you for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Francis Lun is the CEO of GEO Securities. And uh, back to Europe, the chairman of the Eurogroup, uh, Heron Dijsselbloem, has called on Greece to stop wasting time and get down to serious talks to secure an extension of its international bailout. He was speaking ahead of a meeting later this week where Greece is due to give details of its planned reforms to secure the funds. We have to start very, very soon. We've lost uh, over two weeks in which very little progress has been made. The real talks haven't started yet. There has been no implementation. Uh, So we have to stop wasting time and really start the talks now seriously. So we're joined now by Luca Silipo, who is the chief economist at Natixis Asia Pacific. Good morning, Luca. So, Luca, you know, after all of the recent positivity on Greece, things appear to have turned sour um, with the presentation of these reforms. Now, why is this? Well, it's as simple as, as democracy is simple. So uh, there, w- there is a clear mandate from, uh, from Greek people to search something that goes beyond uh, the uh, recipes that have been uh, uh, implemented uh, until today in Greece. Uh, Greece is fed up with austerity, is fed up with, uh, with uh, trying to get savings for, uh, for budget deficits. It is fed up with a situation which it cannot, it feels that on the fiscal policy arm, which should still be the independent uh, economic policy arm, because of course monetary policy is, is, is decided by the ECB at the euro scale, uh, they feel that they don't have the leeway in fiscal policy that justify their, uh, their, you know, their brinkmanship of the economy. So uh, politically, it is, uh, it is very crucial for Greece to, to, to understand that they still have sovereignty, that, and, and also, you know, beyond politics, for Greek people, it is fundamental to know that through their vote, they can achieve something. And this is not uh, what, what Europe seems uh, at this stage uh, to be able to grant to Greece. 
and Europe wants Greece or, or the Eurogroup or the Troika wants Greece to continue to be closely watched to a level in which basically the policies in Greece are decided by the Eurogroup together with Greece. And this is, uh, this is uh, revealing really unacceptable, especially given the uh, results of the election a month and a half ago. But, you know, it may not be um, difficult to understand why. I mean, they're all in it together. I mean, the Greek government uh, proposed a list of measures. I'm I'm going to quote one example, which was hiring non-professional tax collectors, such as tourists. And (laughs) Helen Dijsselblom has said, uh, therefore, you know, this list of reforms, you know, is far from complete. What do you make of this, you know, this kind of... Uh, you know, suggestion that they're putting forward of hiring non-professional tax collectors like tourists? Well, you know, uh, I would I would shy away from caricaturism. This is definitely uh, one of them. I think Greece's uh, record in, uh, in implementing uh, austerity policy is, I would say, neither neither good nor bad, but definitely it is not it is not bad. We get. We have to stop to believe that Greece is a land of, uh, uh, like you know, uh, kind of fantasy solution and simplistic solution to uh, real problems. There is uh, very high unemployment there. Uh, six, six young boys and girls who want to find a job cannot find it. They have not been able to find it for three years now. Uh, so it's a real tragedy. And 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 and. Then you see what happens when you when you impose real tragedy. You have some uh, uh, call for new people and new uh, policies, or, and, and, and hence the uh, the victory of uh, of Tsipras. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't speculate on the bounty of uh, Greek uh, uh, reform. I think that it goes, it continues a, a, a path of uh, reforms that Greece has, uh, in, has, implement, has been implement, implementing since uh, 2012. And I think it does not veer off uh, a path to make Greece a more, a more sustainable country. Then you can, of course, uh, object on one, of the two, one or two reforms, but you have to give people something uh, to survive and something to still hope that their country might... Uh, be uh, once more and uh, once again independent soon. All right, Luca. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Luca Silipo, and he is a chief economist at Netexas. A quick look at the markets. The Nikkei is up uh, 111 points to 18,901. Australia's ASX is up. Uh, Six points to 5,799. And the Apple Watch we were talking about a little bit earlier is here again, but uh, this time it actually works. Here is Tim Cook from the Apple Conference in San Francisco. Apple Watch is the most personal device we have ever created. It's not just with you, it's on you. And since what you wear is an expression of who you are, we designed Apple Watch to appeal to a whole variety of people with different tastes and different preferences. But the one thing is consistent, we crafted each one of them with the care you would expect from Apple and used incredibly beautiful materials. Now, in addition to being a beautiful object, 
The Apple Watch is the most advanced timepiece ever created. And to put all of that in context, here's what you actually get with the watch. Unlike the demo models we saw almost six months ago, the watch is now fully functioning with the software it'll be carrying when it ships. It comes in this 42 millimeter size that I'm wearing here and a smaller, more comfortable 38 millimeter size. You do give up a lot of screen real estate, though, for that extra comfort. Unlike the iPhone, the Apple Watch doesn't use multi-touch gestures, but it can differentiate between something like a quick touch and a more deliberate tap. It also has this digital crown, which lets you move through menus and scroll around and zoom into things. It also tracks your health and fitness and sleep, a lot like most of the fitness trackers on the market these days. It does not have GPS or cellular connectivity, relying on your iPhone for that sort of functionality. There's no word yet also about onboard storage for things like photos. Battery life will be approximately 18 hours. To maximize this, the screen goes dark when you're not doing anything and turns back on when you raise your wrist. This should mesh pretty well with the battery life of your iPhone and is on par with other devices on the market. The time is now 8.24 a.m. And that was a little teaser for, you know, what you might get, uh, be expecting with the Apple Watch should you venture out to the stores uh, later to check it out. Our next guest is Danny Young, who used to be the CEO of Groupon here in Hong Kong. He left there after wor- working for four years to set up his another venture, one of them called Prenetics. Uh, good morning, Danny. Um, good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. So, Danny, you started the daily deals site called You Buy, I Buy in March 2010. That wasn't too long ago. Uh, and soon thereafter, the company was acquired by Groupon. And in the past four years, uh, between then and now, Groupon, Hong Kong and Taiwan have, have together become the number one e-commerce company uh, in the region. Is that right? Um, yes, correct. Take us through that. Uh, take us through your idea, how you built it, and how you got it there. Um, at, the, at the time, 2010, I just saw Groupon was expanding very fast in the U.S., um, saw an opportunity to do the same model um, in Hong Kong. Um, uh, when we launched in June of 2010, we got traction really, really fast. Uh, you know, within the next six months there, we actually were able to grow to a million dollars uh, in monthly sales and become operational profitable in, in, a, sh- in a very short amount of time. Um, in which basically in December 2010, Groupon took a majority stake in the company. Um, and then certainly two years out, um, they acquired the rest of the shares. And then, you know, we were able to basically grow from, you know, zero to, uh, when I left, we were overseeing three, over 300 people and, and on annual business size over 100 million USD. So did you specifically create the company mm-hmm. with the idea of, uh, you know, the exit strategy being uh, an acquisition by Groupon? Um, certainly that was one of the ideas, but cer- certainly, I mean, things were just happening so fast. Um, and certainly we, we just wanted to build a business that, that was growing fast. Um, and one that which we, we, we wanted to benefit, um, both consumers and merchants alike. And what is Prenetics? That's what you started up right after that. Is that um, correct? Yes. So, I mean, part of the reason why I, I left Groupon, because, I mean, during, during the last year, I felt um, I wanted to get back to the entrepreneurial spirit um, and, and rather be, I mean, rather than be a, a, a you know, high, a, a high uh, paid executive watch, right? So, Prenetics is a biotech biotechnology company um, using DNA technology um, for a higher level of patient care and healthcare. 
Now, you know, there's a lot of talk about startups investing mm. in startups here, and certainly it is an avenue that is different from, say, investing in stocks or, you know, bonds, that kind mm. of thing. But for the lay Hong Kong person, is it realistic for them to actually invest in a startup just with the amounts of capital um, that might be required or, you know, in terms of researching what the opportunities are? Yeah, so in, in terms of investing in the startups, I mean, I think Hong Kong's definitely um, came along in the last four or five years, right? And if you look at, you know, when I moved here in 2010, there was only three co-working spaces. Um, right now in Hong Kong, there's 40 co-working spaces, and each one of these are filled with, um, you know, young entrepreneurs and, and, and people basically really excited about this um, ecosystem of startups. Um, certainly investing in startups takes a lot more time because you're individually uh, talking to so many different companies at once. Um, however, the reward can be great that if, if you st- do sp- uh, spot a startup with a great founding team, um, you know, you can make, you know, 10, 20, 30 X, you know, or even more in it within a very short amount of time. But how do you sp- spot these startups? Um, it's really looking at the, the founders and the passion they possess, um, you know, identifying these founders, which they do not have a backup plan that they gave up um, either a you know, very high paying salary to, to go in the startup world, uh, you know, or a lot of times, you know, they may have moved somewhere to start to a startup world. It's, 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 it's identifying what your backup plan is. If there is none, a lot of times you will see much greater uh, probability of success uh, within that startup and that founder. But the, you know, the lay Hong Kong investor mm-hmm. might have uh, $5,000, $10,000, you know, to invest. So, you know, they're, they're going to go to the markets and, you know, public limited companies. How can they take that same amount and invest it in a startup? Is it realistic? Is it even possible? Um, there would be p- different possible ways in terms of actually, you know, turning that 5000 or $10,000 and becoming part of a syndicate. Um, and investing that way into startups. So there's you know, certainly a lot of online platforms um, that can cater towards that. And how do we find out about these syndicates? Um, it's, I mean, you know, Angel, Angel List is one um, that's on a global basis. Um, it's basically made up of, you know, very individualized uh, investors, which um, individual uh, people can go on and invest in different startups around the world. Angel List. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Danny Ying, and he is the CEO of Prenetics. Uh, Alex, uh, no. what do you think about this? Angel Lists, uh, are you in? Oh, no. I, no? I think... Uh, uh, Investing in startup companies and a lot of expertise and work actually. So um, that is uh, something which I'm not in. I'm not particularly good at. I think I, I'm I'm more on the list that's company side. So uh, yeah. investing in startups, you think, is more work than investing in stocks? Uh, Yes, because uh, actually stocks got track record and they their their business model are established. But startups involve a lot of uh, startup risk actually in the initial stage of business. That actually the more risky and and you have to as Daniel said that you have to know well about the founder's passion and that is something which uh, you, you you sort of guarantee when you invest in a listed stocks actually. Okay, Alex. Yeah. In twenty seconds or less, parting thoughts for the day. I think today we would still be in a boring uh, mode in Hong Kong. Uh, like as once I said, probably people would pay attention to banking stocks in China, but I am not too fancy about that because uh, if you look at the emerging markets, actually overnight uh, the performances are not too good actually despite the rise in 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 us so probably hong kong would remain boring 
All right, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as co-host. That is Alex Wong, a director of asset management at Ample Capital. A quick look at the numbers before we depart. Uh, The Nikkei is up 89 points to 18,880. Australia's ASX index is up 18 points to 5,811. And Seoul's Kospi up two points to 1,994. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, closing up uh, for this morning's Money for Nothing. The weather forecast today will be mainly cloudy, appreciably cooler, with temperatures falling from about 18 degrees at first to 16 degrees later tonight. The temperature right now is 17 degrees and the relative humidity is 75%. Time for the news with Sam Butler. The Russian President Vladimir Putin has admitted for the first time that he ordered the annexation of the Ukrainian province of Crimea weeks before paramilitaries took power there. In a trailer for an upcoming documentary to be shown on state-run television, Mr Putin reveals how he ordered his security service chiefs to start work on returning Crimea to Russia. Days after that order was given in February last year, unidentified soldiers took over the Crimean parliament. The ambassador-at-large for Ukraine, Dmitry Kuleba, said everybody knew Mr. Putin was behind the annexation. No one was surprised because this is kind of truth we were all aware of. You know the saying, what's done by night appears by day. This is exactly...